welcome to Vismaski Classics podcast, Livinio to Levi. Vismaski Classics is the long distance ski championship with 12 pro tour events and 35 pro teams. Bringing professional and recreational skiers together. We will analyze the events on the tour, portray the legends of the sport and help you to become a better skier. So Vismaski Classics fans, this is the third episode of our podcast, Livinio to Levi, and we have a special guest here. We have Marcelonga winner, Ture Björset Bedal. And of course, today we are going to talk about Marcelonga. We're going to analyze the race inside out. And I have Eric Nilsson here, my co-commentator, and I am Teemu Virtanen, your host. Hello. Okay, I think we are now ready to rumble. Congrats, man. And we have some food for you guys. Oh, I've, I've... I haven't eaten the shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was discussing with uh, the rest of the team. I never won even the, the club championships. So <laughs> the only two races I ever won is Vassalop and uh, this one. So it's just... <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, That's interesting. Yeah, cool. So Eric, let's get started with the women's race first. Since we have Tura here, Tura, you can go through the men's, men's side of things. But the women's race. Yes, it started out very slowly, kind of like expected. We had some new snow in the tracks and no one really wanted to uh, set up the pace. So it was a big group of women uh, all the way close to Kanasei. But then the men passing in a really high pace and uh, some of the women tried to catch on there and, and uh, did that as well. And then we saw a completely different phase of the race. So turning around from Kanasei, going down, we saw Astrid Öyreslin, Karevika Ingeitnes, Lina Korsgrens, for example, skiing fast together with the men. And they sticked with the men all the way to um, below Alp de Sermis, close to Cascata. So for a very, very, very long time, they sticked with the, with the men group. And uh, in then, yeah, it was just a really hard finish between Astrid Öyreslin, Karevika Ingeitnes and Lina Korsgren, where Kari was the strongest today and won her first Visma Ski Classics race. And then the men's race, it was a slow race, uh, <coughs> Ture, but how did you feel about it yourself and how did it go for you guys? No, of course I feel good about it <laughs> uh, with the result in mind, but uh, the race itself was pretty slow. It snowed during the night, so uh, that changed everything. Um, we, uh, we had really good skis today. So for us, it was kind of a transport uh, a lot of the time, but mm, it was hard to ski f uh, ski in front, and uh, that kind of led to a really big group. Uh, like the women were hanging on from Kanasei to almost down to Molina, so that's proof that uh, the pace in the first group wasn't that high, but even though uh, the pace isn't high, it's still 70 kilometers, and you get tired. And uh, yeah, there was an early breakaway though. Yeah, and that was actually a pretty dangerous move because uh, Ragda had two skiers there, and also Lage had one. So uh, for us, that was uh, yeah an important part of the race. Uh, both uh, Stian Hulgar, Chris Jespersen, and me, we had to go up and uh, set the pace uh, to catch. Uh, to catch the group or yeah, the breakaway. So we uh, used yeah, 10Ks down from uh, Kanasei to to before Muena to catch them. And yeah, 
didn't cost too much power. Um, but it's not ideal. We should have had one skier there as well. But uh, yeah, shit happens. And then what about the final hill? Oh, the final hill is it's always a war going into the final hill. Uh, so uh, this year there was a lot of skiers and a lot of skiers with good power going into the last hill more more than ever i think and also uh, into uh, the last bridge there the course was really really narrow only one track so uh, there was a sprint going into uh, the last bridge but uh, yeah it was okay and uh, in uh, the last uphill it's the usual suspects you know it's uh, elias and the Ardal. Uh, Ed Pedersen, Nygård is good, so it's uh, back to the to the usual gang out there. And luckily, I felt I felt really good today. And uh, yeah, I uh, two years ago I was in almost the same position mm, after the last small uphill with like 500 meters to go. I kicked and got a small gap, but uh, Ilya <laughs> was a bit too strong for me in the last uh, 200 meters, so that's something I, yeah, I've been thinking a lot about, and uh, I know that I have a pretty good kick when uh, when people are tired. I'm, I have a good kick and I can uh, get a gap, so that was my spot, and when we came there, it was just turning off the head and start double pulling and. Yeah, luckily it on the race worked out my my for me this time. So that's the much longer 2020 in a nutshell for you, but we will talk about it in more detail. So Eric, now let's go back to the race right from the beginning. You talked about the women's race earlier and they started 10 minutes before men. But point by point. I think the first point is that we woke up this morning and we had a little bit of new snow outside. And I don't think anyone expected that. It was supposed to be a little bit of overcast clearing up, but no new snow. And it was kind of wet snow as well. So that, I think, was the first thing that changed or set the setting for, for the race. So we had a little bit of slower conditions and, uh, and a disadvantage to ski in the front. You said nobody expected, and you also mentioned that earlier, that it was kind of a surprise. Yeah, absolutely. When you guys woke up and you realized, oh, wow, there's some new snow. How yeah, did you so, guys feel? Uh, we have a really, really good service, uh, some servicemen. So they, when I woke up, they came in from uh, testing. So uh, then we got the news that there had been snow, and they had uh, tested uh, all our skis again, and... Uh, found some new things I think so we changed up everything this morning uh, they were I think they started testing at five or four maybe tonight so they have been out testing and yeah for us it was a big surprise but I know that we we have good skis anyway so I was kind of relieved I don't think many other teams uh, has done the same work as our guys have and think that was a good good thing for us it always kind of makes me wonder that a lot of people do so much testing the day before and it has happened so often that the conditions change so the day before testing does it really matter that much yeah. like if, if it's a normal uh, race where the conditions are the same 
I think uh, the day before is the best test you're going to have. But like today, when it started snowing, of course, the conditions changed. That was the same in La Diagonale last weekend. Uh, and also like Vasopa last year, uh, the conditions change and then you need to adapt and uh, kind of do the, the night night test. <laughs> but this was pretty much out of the blue. Uh, quite quite often we know about it or there's a chance, like La Diagonale, we knew that something, uh, snow might come. But this was pretty unexpected. Yeah, for sure. And um, But it's part of the game. You never know about the weather, so it's... Uh, but like when the snow came, you you have to adapt your tactic pretty because it's so hard to ski in front. So uh, it's uh, the entire game plan is changed, and uh, for us it meant that it's so much easier to ski if you stay in position three. It's really tough because there there is new snow, but if you stay in position fifty, things work. You, you don't need to use any power. And then there's the trade-off between being far behind and not getting dropped. So it's kind of, you have to speculate a bit, stay far behind, save energy, but then at the same time, not get dropped. So the race becomes a completely different race. And uh, yeah. Were you concerned when that breakaway happened that early on a Popimpola? He was pretty much the instigator of the of that and then Irving uh, Mjönfjeld and yeah absolutely that was a really dangerous break for us uh, like Serenica had a guy uh, Lager had a guy and Ragda they suddenly had two guys up there and we know Cardin he's really really strong and you are also so <clears throat> it was a really dangerous break and uh, first they had 30 seconds then they had 40 50 almost a minute and then we had to react it's our it's our uh, yeah, job to as one of the big teams. Also, Coffee Brigadier had a guy up there. So then it's only us left. And then we had to react. And, uh, and maybe the Russians. Yeah, maybe too. the Russians. Uh, but uh, it's a bit tough to communicate with them <laughs> at times. So, uh, but they did a great job in, in the beginning. But then after kind of say when they had uh, yeah, 50 seconds, we kind of felt that now it's our turn to close this one down. And... Uh, then, uh, yeah, Steon, Chris, and I just headed to the front and did, yeah, just 50, 50 double polling uh, each. And then we had quite good control on them because it's so hard to ski first. So they were at a disadvantage compared to us. So when we just uh, put some gas on, we had pretty good control on them. But if, if we let them have like three minutes, it's impossible to catch. So, and also the women's race, it seemed that they pretty much waited for these guys, the men, yes. to catch up. We, saw we had a really big uh, group of women uh, close to Kanasei, and they were pretty much waiting for the guys uh, to come. And we could see that it, there really is a disadvantage uh, skiing in the front. And uh, they always wait for the, for the men here, but they did so even more today, I would say. And uh, we can also see when... Uh, the break are starting to get close to the women, that they really speeded up. They were in one line and kind of almost getting ready to, to jump on the train. Um, that they also did. And I mean, they skied first with a breakout group for a couple of kilometers uh, up to Kanasei, and then they hanged on to the, to the chasing group. 
So let's go back to that particular moment when you guys passed the women, because as Eric said, there were so many more of them. Usually they're kind of spread out and you can easily pass them. But it looked uh, pretty dramatic when you have 50, 60 guys and 30, 40 girl, girls Yeah, for out sure, there. for sure. Uh, now, but it always looks a bit more dramatic on TV than it is in real life. But of course, it was the track in Martelonga is really narrow. And when, with these conditions, there is one track that everybody's using. And if you ski in the, the other track, you kind of have to do double the power to to keep on. So it's uh, it's difficult to have to like navigate. Uh, but like for the women, at least for the two girls at our team, Austria and Kari, like the only thing they think about before the men catch them, it's to eat and drink. Because when the, the guys come, that's when the race really starts. Um, so it's all about having a good position uh, when the men come and try to hang on as long as possible. And they didn't just try, they pretty much <laughs> yeah, managed yeah. to hang on. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And they're really, really strong. So not so surprised by that. Going back to that breakaway that Popin uh, Polan and, and those guys did, why do you think, um, what, what do you think they did it? Or was it something that they planned ahead, <coughs> you know, when they had the team meetings? Maybe at least I think Yuwad was designated to go in a breakaway. Uh, maybe Oscar as well. But I don't think those kind of things, they just happen. Um, I think it was a good tactic for him because we had to go in front <coughs> with our three best gears to catch them. So it was a good tactic from them. And yeah, we should have had one guy there as well. We didn't. So we Why? had to use. Why didn't you have it? Good question. Uh, our guy, uh, the breakaway guy, Tulev, <laughs> he uh, actually broke or he, one of his straps uh, just uh, didn't work at the start. So he had to start with one pole. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I think I actually fooled him in the first uh, 100 meters because I said our service guys are on the right and you can get a pole after 100 meters. But then I came there and they were both on the left, so <laughs> I think I kind of <laughs> fucked Poor up. guy. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw he was just completely cooked after 15k. He had been dropped by the group and had to chase back, and so I kind of messed up his race. But okay. well, that explains it then that he didn't <laughs> have the one. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that that was the plan. Uh, Tulev was supposed to be in the break. That was the plan. But also for you, that was in the end maybe a good thing because if you would have two life up there, you would have not done the work, and then maybe we would have a different race with this this breakout groups skiing alone all the way to the to the finish. Yeah, absolutely. From personally, for me, it worked out well. But like, if all the big teams have one guy up there, that break will go because there is no one left to chase. Yeah. But um, yeah, this time we were missing, so the break uh, got caught. We talked about it during the broadcast that I think it was a really important move when you actually went up and started to chase them down and close the gap so you had about 20 seconds when you come into the place where you feel like you have control over them. Yeah. But we were discussing who should make the move and take uh, the advantage of this job. And um, Yeah, we just shared the job. Uh, like both uh, Stian, he was in the yellow bib, so he's kind of the captain. And Chris is really strong. He showed that last week, and I felt pretty, pretty good as well today. So we kind of just shared the job. And when you have to ski like 
if you ski one minute in front and then two minutes back, it's not that hard. At least when the front skiers are like uh, doing the snow plowing yeah. and we just ski in their tracks, it's not that difficult. But if we hadn't done it, they would have gotten three minutes and then we would have been, yeah. So when you're in a situation like that, that you have a breakaway and, and, and you know and you know that you need to do something. So how do you guys like communicate and and where do you know that now it's it's far enough? Now we need to do, do the action. No, so um, who, like I saw Ragda, they have a pretty distinct hat. So I saw there were two of them in the, in the front breakaway and then we have the service guys. They always kind of give us feedback and who's in front, how far back are we and everything and then I was together with Stian and we just, we have to take this now b before it becomes too much. And then we started uh, chasing and then I gave uh, some, yeah, some feedback to the service guys that uh, Andrew and Chris had to come up as well. And they said that to Andrew and Chris and they came up. So then it was kind of worked, worked out. There's a good segue. You mentioned Andrew. Yeah. Andrew Musker. Let's talk about him a little bit. Yeah. And uh, he's going to do more races than this. And he's, a he's actually skiing skier. next weekend as well. He wasn't uh, supposed to, but uh, I think he likes long distance skiing. So uh, he's going, uh, going to ski next week. And more races too, not just yeah. next week. And also, um, you know, he, of course, he's doing uh, the World Cups and he will ski yeah, in. Uh, the, the coming World Cups, but he's also going to do Restalepe and Levi, so that will be a really good good addition to the team. He's a really strong skier and uh, a skier that lives in Trondheim, where uh, the entire team lives, and we train with him almost every day, so it's a natural addition to our team. I remember back in the fall when we were writing our uh, pro skiing magazine, and you, you mentioned I was writing about you guys and the teams, and you mentioned that we have one more seventh skier, but I can't reveal the name, and we all started speculating, <laughs> and who could that be? And and then it turned out to be Andrew Musgrave. But why him? How did you approach him, or did he approach you guys? No, but <clears throat> Andrew is uh, uh, Andrew lives uh, like me, Chris, Tulev, Astri. Uh, we live really close in Trondheim and we train together with uh, with uh, every day so and Andrew he's a he's a really strong skier and we ski together with him yeah every day so he's a natural addition to the team he he's a good guy really really strong uh, strong skier has not got out his potential this year uh, hopefully f the form will be better um, and I think like in Reist and Levi, that's some races that really suit Andrew. So I hope he can perform well there. Yeah, he has the capacity. He was in the yeah, top yeah. 10 in every, at the World Championships last last yeah, uh, yeah. season, ev in every race. Andrew is a phenomenal skier. And this year hasn't been his year. Uh, he's, I think we might have trained a bit hard this summer. <laughs> uh, Too many so long distance sessions. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, we, uh, yeah, this summer was, brutal so uh, I think uh, yeah when he comes back to himself he will be he will be really really strong when you say this summer was brutal what does it really mean what kind of trainings did you guys do uh, well, why did it become so brutal 
I think we kind of we have a good training group in uh, Trondheim with uh, yeah Chris, me, Andrew, Didrik Tönset, Niklas Dyrög, uh, and yeah also Johannes, Emil, sometimes joins as well, and we kind of <laughs> yeah things. What was cool last year isn't cool this year, so we have to do more and more. And suddenly, five hours plus two hours was the normal training day. And I think we might have stepped a little hard on the gas this year. Give us an ex example of a like a typical, a special day or something you want to share share with us. I don't know, but like a normal day this summer was my maybe or not a normal day, but a hard day was maybe five hours of double pulling in the morning, and then we did two hours of skating in the afternoon. Um, that's a good training day, and yeah. Do you guys do those, what they call the Vasa Lopet Pass that you have a, like a five-hour 100k and then you do sprints within? Yeah, it's not that formal. It's, uh, we just go out and ski and have fun, and uh, yeah, and then <laughs> we've been training really, really a lot. So yeah, and I know that your favorite uh, workout is an in interval training. Actually, you like intervals. Yeah, for sure, I like intervals and. What we do often is that we may, might start a five-hour session with an interval, and then we ski for three hours, and then we finish again with an interval. So that's good, good session. And lots of pro teams, they tend to go to warmer places. I mean, in the past, it used to be the case that you, you looked for snow and Ramza, um, Dachstein used to be a place that every, everybody went to. But nowadays, you guys go to Mallorca, you know, those kind of places. You know, is that kind of the new trend? You know, that looking for warmer places to yeah, to we train. like the sun. It's warm. <laughs> it's so cold in Ramsau. No, but I think uh, for us the season starts a bit later in the year, so you had don't rely on having that many kilometers of skiing in October, and then it becomes more of. Uh, it's much nicer in Mallorca than in Ramsau. And could it also be that double polling uh, is so close, roller skiing yeah, is so close technically. Absolutely. I mean, in the past, diagonal striding never really was that close. No, no, absolutely. And uh, like if we have a good cooperation with some guys at Mallorca, we stayed at the same place now for the last years. And yeah, it's a beautiful place. You get to ski in only shorts, that's the best. So uh, no, I think. If you're gonna double pole, it's not that much different to doing it on roller skiing than on snow. You said earlier that a typical example is you do five hours uh, double pulling, then skating. Do you still have a lot of skating yeah. and, and diagonal striding Absolutely. in your training program? Absolutely. Uh, this summer we've done a lot of skating intervals uh, and classic intervals. Uh, maybe a, a normal week we have one double pulling interval and one skating and one classic. And reason for that is? I think. Um, like I've been double polling for the last six, seven years. Um, you, you like you you reach a potential where uh, more double polling doesn't necessarily make you a better double polar. It becomes more about your yeah your general cap capacity, and then uh, to train your VO2 max and your yeah, your breathing capacity. I think uh, classic skating is 
maybe better than double polling. So down to that. And in the last up layer, it's not about the best double polar, it's about the one that breeds the most oxygen. So the good old running is still a good yeah, method. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I do, yeah, maybe at least uh, every other week I do an interval running. So yeah, uh, more often, like before this race, before Marcelonga, this last interval is always running, not double bowling. So it's, um, yeah, you reach, I think you reach like your potential in double bowling where uh, you kind of, the distance doesn't really matter. You're, you don't get tired in your arms. You don't get tired in your, like in your core muscles. That's not the problem. The problem is that you don't get enough oxygen. Then you have to train that. So that's why the VO2 max is again getting more important because that, for a while it seemed like, you know, at least a lot of people said, oh, you don't need that high VO2 max levels in long distance skiing. But now it seems to be a different ball game. Absolutely. And uh, if you look at the top guys here today, you have Jardal, he, yeah, and Eliasen and Igor. Uh, they are all breeding, yeah, like 80. 90 uh, milliliters per kilo. So, what uh, about you? <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> my personal best is, I think, two years ago, 85, 86 or something. That's, that's pretty so, high. Uh, no, that was in uh, running, actually. Um, in diagonal, I think I had 84 or something. And yeah, so it's pretty good, but I don't really measure VO2 max that often because you always want more it doesn't really matter what you have you always want more if you have 90 okay then you want 95 if you have 85 doesn't matter you want 90 so like uh, improving your capacity is always the most important to ski fast it is an important factor but still in long distance skiing it's not everything you need to have no no absolutely and it depends on the course like in the last uphill here it's the most important thing And then, how do you how do you actually work on it to make to improve it? No, it's what we what we've been talking about. It's we've gone from uh, like uh, um, specialized long distance training more towards normal training, and then we just add some long double pulling sessions on top of that. So during the summer and during uh, yeah during the autumn. The training that the we do is very, very similar to the training that, for example, Andrew does for World Cups or Diedrich does for World Cups. It's 95% similar, and then the rest is just some long double polling sessions. It's very interesting to kind of hear about it and learn about it. And it keeps changing a little bit. I mean, what worked 10 years ago, five years ago, may not be the... Uh... Yeah, absolutely. And when we started doing long distance skiing, I remember I came into the team. Yeah, that's a very long time ago, but when <laughs> not that long. <laughs> when Jung Christian, Dahl and Jon Chelsea and uh, me and Chris started doing long distance skiing in Team United Bakeries, uh, then we were so bad at double pulling that we only had to do double pulling because we had to like get up to a level where we could sustain double pulling for four hours before getting tired. 
I remember the first double bowling session I had with Shell Star back home in Trondheim. We did two and a half hours. In the last half an hour, I couldn't use my arms. I was so shit that I had to stop and just do diagonal without using my arms. So <laughs> things has yeah, improved a lot. Yeah, it, it has improved. But uh, we've five years ago, we did a lot of double pulling, almost pure double pulling. But then you kind of reached a level that we're double pulling, like more double pulling didn't make us better. And then we have to kind of switch up the training and yeah, go back to more normal training. And all this double pulling that you guys have done, it has also affected standard, you know, the traditional skiing. Look at the World Cup skiers now. They yeah. are pretty strong double polers as well, and they are putting focus on that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think uh, the breakthrough for double polling was when uh, Petter Eliasen uh, beat uh, Martin in, uh, in Birkebeine. So uh, absolutely, the, the World, Cup sky, uh, World Cup guys, they are really, really strong in double polling. And uh, the differences between us and them is that they are, if it would have been a 15K, Dario and Shud would have won today. Uh, and But since it's 70K, we can sustain more double polling over longer time. And then we are more fresh coming into the last hill. And, uh, and that's actually one of the questions that we got here that uh, we both had uh, Shur Röta and Dario Colonia in the race, mm. World Cup skiers. Um, did that affect the team tactics in any way when you know that those guys are on the starting lines with good skiers but with different uh, capacities? Um, no, because... Uh, yeah. For starters, they did uh, the 30k in Oberstdorf last year or yesterday, so we knew they were kind of tired. Uh, Shoot, he stayed with us, uh, so uh, we waxed his skis, and uh, uh, yeah, he he was part of our team. So, uh, but it didn't didn't change our tactic. We know that uh, they are phenomenal skiers. They like. As I said, if we started 15k, 15k before the last hill, they would have won, no questions asked. They would just destroy the rest of the field. But like doing 70 kilometers of double pulling is a specialized event. You have to train a lot to um, be able to sustain the high speed, the high double pulling in hour after hour. And uh, yeah, coming into the last hill, shoot was. Uh, uh, unlucky, broke a pole in the last hill, but he said it was cooked anyway. So, but I think he could have done a good result. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's um, two different sports: doing long distance skiing and normal cross, cross country skiing. The best guys they can do both, uh, and uh, yeah, luckily the long distance guys were better today. But it seems that the, the World Cup skiers, they're still pretty eager to come and test, you know, try their wings here. Yeah, and it, it's phenomenal training for them. Like, uh, doing this long session for them is the best training they can do to, to yeah, be better in double pulling in normal races. So, yeah, uh, and I think they like, like the spectacle of it, you know, you ski through 10, 15 towns here, there's a lot of people. This race is the most special ski race in the world. It's, uh, yeah, 
something you need to experience. A little bit different, you know, from them, you know, and, and the atmosphere and all that. Absolutely. They all say that this is something a little bit different from the from the World Cup races that they do. Yeah, for sure. And uh, spoke with Shrewd after the race. He was really, really happy. So, so what about you yourself? What's kind of your background before you ended up becoming this good? <laughs> <laughs> no, like I have a traditional background. Uh, I come, I tried to be the best World Cup skier in the world, did not succeed. Um, I was a pretty good uh, junior, but um, came into the senior years and got a lot of injuries, a lot of sickness, a lot of yeah ups and downs, and uh, uh, never managed to be a good World Cup skier. I'm so slow, so I didn't have a chance anyway, but uh, and then uh, so that's the only thing you think that you prevented you from becoming number one. I, I think I never got out my full potential as a World Cup skier, but that's not no that's nothing I think about ever. Actually, I'm really satisfied with being <coughs> a long distance skier, and I I know my strengths and uh, weaknesses, and they they uh, are suited for long distance skiing. And when did you realize that hey, this is something that I should should be doing? So that's actually um, many, many years ago, Team Skigo was started. And uh, uh, orig originally it was Chris Jespersen and Johan Kjellstad. And uh, they needed one more guy. And uh, Chris phoned up me and asked if I want to be part of the team. Uh, I said yes. And we started skiing long distance skiing. First year I did not know I was didn't know what I was going to. I thought I was well prepared. I was not. In this race in Marcelonga, I <coughs> lost uh, lost the lead after Vigo di Fassa, which is seven <laughs> seven kilometers into the race. I was cooked and I could not follow the leaders. Uh, and then a year after that, we got in Jun uh, Kristandal to the team, and we started training for long distance skiing and we started being professional and uh, we kind of analyzed what needed to be done to be good and uh, that year you were yeah Shellstar won the yellow jersey Jung Christian won uh, he won uh, Vasaloppa I went from place 17 Marcelonga to 6 so that was that was the year that we finally started doing long distance skiing. And then you realized that this is the thing that I really want to do. Yeah, course. absolutely. You mentioned those two great skiers, and, uh, your, your former skiers, and Dahl used to be your captain. Tonight, and he was the one kind of the, who created the, the, the maneuver that you guys, or, or <laughs> the Vasalopet, uh, made, made it possible, so to speak. Yep. What did you learn from those two great skiers, Shostad and, and Dahl? Um, the lesson that they gave. Yeah, good question. I think I actually learned pretty much everything I know about skiing. They are two really different skiers, Yuan and Christian. But uh, combined, they were when they were in form, they were unbeatable. Um, so it's kind of shame that they have put their skis away. But uh, actually, next weekend in Toblak, Jung Christian is coming. We are taking the whole Koteng, uh, Koteng uh, company 
down to Toblock and Cortina. And Jung Christian, he is the travel manager for the entire uh, entire team. So he is coming, and I think I have pursued him to to race as well. So we might see a comeback from Jung Christian. Has he been training at all? No. <laughs> so not at all. <laughs> no. He said he were he was going to have one double pulling session this week. So. But for Jung Christian, that might be enough. <laughs> he won the Basel Open once without even, yeah. I was maybe two minutes in front of him in every interval session, and then he came to Basel Open and just destroyed everyone. So he can do wonders. But now you are the captain and, and team leader as well. So how does that work? I mean, you're an active skier, you're winning races, but still, still you kind of need to pull the strings and make sure that everything works for your team. <laughs> Yeah, um, so right now I am the team owner. So by me and uh, Bernard Erning, uh, which is my companion, we own uh, Team Kuteng. And uh, I am the team manager, so I do almost everything with sponsors, booking, uh, travel for everyone. Uh, yeah. I think you're going to be the, the only active skier. I mean, we have, of, of course, retired skiers like Lucas Bauer and so forth, but you are probably the only active skiing doing yeah. both. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so it's, it's, I think it's pretty fun. It's like it's, uh, it's a different kind of challenge than being a good skier to like to manage the team and to do everything with the economy. And yeah, so it's. It's fun. It doesn't really... I don't think a lot about it. Do you think it gives you a little bit of a balance? Because then you have something else to think about. Yeah. At times, it's uh, good to have something else to think, think about. But at times, you know, it's kind of... Uh, it's a lot to do. But yeah, for me, it doesn't really bother me. It's normal for... Yeah. Uh, before we wrap up that uh, train of thought, one thing. I mean, when the season is over, you mentioned sponsorships and all that. What kind of happens in, in for the this season? Uh, no, for any season. For any season. No, we kind of we have to analyze what we've done good and what we've done not so good. So after the season, it's uh, a lot of analyze, and uh, I have to go back to school <laughs> for the most part. And uh, yeah, then it starts preparing for the next season. And talking to the sponsors and school, we we'll talk about that a little bit later on. Yeah, let's get back to the race. So, okay, the first part we had the breakaway, then we had the canase turned around, then the downhill section started all the way towards Predazzo, the first sprint point. Of course, a little bit of action there. When you guys, when you guys caught up with the uh, the breakaway guys. Yeah. So when we came up to canase, there was the breakaway group, and we were in back. Um, all our guys were pretty far back. Uh, we caught up with the women. Mm, I actually talked a bit to Austria and Kari when I passed them because I saw Britta was having a hard time. So uh, when I passed them, I kind of said to Austria and Kari that uh, Britta is having a hard time. Try to uh, stay on now, go all out to because Britta was not. I saw that she was not able to catch uh, the the men's group. So. Uh, it was uh, an important uh, part for the women's race and uh, also um, for us it was we that was the first time we saw how far we were behind and when we passed around we saw who were in the breakaway group so then we knew it was Cardin and Teala, Munfiel and 
So kind of gave a bit of an overview of the race. And then you're coming down to Predazzo and you saw the sprint, but you don't, you don't have any ski years at this time going for the sprint points. No, but um, going down to Predazzo, it's, that's a key part of the race because uh, when you come, when you pass the jumping hill, uh, the conditions just change in five meters. They uh, are uh, normally they change because there the sun is uh, shining. So uh, uh, yeah, and uh, the conditions just the the speed goes up ten kilometers an hour like in in an instant because of the changing conditions. So there is a really important place to stay ahead. Uh, this year the snow was in the track so, so it was less drastic this year yeah no it, this year it was slow and after Pedazzo it was really slow so uh, yeah it wasn't uh, much happening uh, before after the stadium uh, and going uh, down to Alpsimiris that's the first time when the speed was back to normal to say um, and uh, Andreas Nygård did a really tough uh, push. Uh, Chris, I saw that Chris was in front and he had to chase that one down. He said that was costing him a bit of uh, energy. Uh, but for us it was good because Andreas used a lot of ener energy as well. So um, yeah, that, that was the first time the race really started. And uh, did you, did you, when you looked around, did you notice or did you see some people getting tired? Did you, did you detect anything special it's going on? It's difficult to, to say, but you see that people are getting more tired. They, they don't stand like on the back ski of the skier in front. And uh, How much do you usually pay attention to those when you're in a big crew? I, I try to pay a lot of attention to that. and It's important to know which skier you are behind. Like in the in the last, when you go down to Molina, it's really important that you, I like I analyze the skiers in front of me. Is he going to let go of the group? Do I have to ski around him, or can I just let him be in front of me? Or uh, because if if a split happens and there's 10 meters up, you kind of kind of lost. So you have to know that every skier in front of you is good enough to stay on on track. And uh, yeah, and then there's the the war before the bridge, the turning point. Uh, we had a really good setup going down. Chris, me, and Stian, we were controlling. Cardine was leading the field. We were just blocking so no one else could get in front. And then we had perfect positions going through Molina, uh, and then back back up towards Cascata. And Eric, in the women's race, I mean, when these guys passed them, they were, ha were able to talk to them a little bit, but some action happened there as well, quite a lot, actually. Yeah, I mean, the women catched on to the men already up in before Canase, and they hang on to them all, almost all the way down to Molina. So that was for a really long time, and we could see there were some big changes in time gaps between that. And we really saw the advantage that the women has when they're skiing behind the men. And skiers like uh, Britta Johansson Norgren, Ida Dahl, who did not have a good draft, they really lost time 
over that whole section going through Valdifassa and over to, to Valdifieme. But then we had also Emilia Flet and Aida Dahl who performed really well behind these three. And we mentioned Pritta Johansson Nogren, who had a bad day. Uh, again today, uh, today wasn't her strongest day. Uh, Smutna started, Katarina Smutna started pretty well, but then again they didn't really finish that, that well. Yes, I've heard uh, reports from uh, from the tracks there that it was uh, Ida Dahl skiing together with uh, Katarina Smutna. And uh, they got a draft from, from some guys, and uh, Katarina couldn't hang on to that group after a while, and that's when she dropped, and that's when also Ida started to ski really fast. And uh, she had a really good trend all the time from, I would say, uh, Kanase to the finish. So uh, it was really fun to see that she was going for chasing the next group, chasing the next group, etc., etc. But we also saw the importance of a good draft, for example, Emilie Fleten and Britta Johansson-Norgen, they were both 11-12 seconds behind the leading woman in Kanasei. Emilie managed to catch on to that leading group and Britta did not and that just opened up like two minutes in five kilometers of skiing almost. So Tori, you said you've been around for, for a while now, but interesting thing that has happened this year is that we have, it's kind of the year of youth as we call it, we yeah. have Eric just mentioned Ida and, and Emilia and those young young ladies fighting really, really well. But also in, on the men's side of things, I mean, there are young skiers now really breaking through. Yeah, absolutely. And they are so fast. So we, the old ones, we <laughs> kind of have to uh, to lose them before the finish. So uh, it's, uh, it's a different type of uh, challenge. You know, Emil Pashan, he... He will beat me with 10 seconds on the last uh, 100 meters here if, he, if we are together. So I have to use a lot of power to drop him before before the finish. Were you surprised when this season started? Were you surprised to, to see that many young Max Novak, Emil Persson, all these young guys yeah. being so strong? Absolutely. I, I know they're strong. I skied against them back uh, home in Norway and Sweden. So I, I know they're strong, and but to get out their full potential in uh, in the big races, that's uh, that's a new new step for them, and they will be even stronger in the coming years. And when they have some more hours in in the bank, they will be really really hard to beat. So how, how are you old timers, <laughs> so to speak, getting ready for it? How are you preparing for that? Because now you know this is kind of the breakthrough year for them. Yeah. Next year they're gonna be much stronger, I think. No, I, we have to always try to be better and. Um, <clears throat> we try to to improve every year. Uh, try to find out uh, what we can improve. And like this year, it's all about the capacity. It's all about getting more fit than ever before. And uh, um, yeah, we think that has to be the plan for next year as well. Is that a plan for the next <coughs> year, or would you look for something different? Right now, I don't know, but uh, it. Uh, Looks like a good plan this year, at least. So we'll hope, we'll see what uh, the future brings. Any other teams that have surprised you? I mean, we talked about the Russians and Russian <coughs> Russian winter team, and of course, Team Ramudden been really strong, both uh, in the women's and the men's races. Yeah, both the Russian guys and uh, Ramudden, they have been really strong in uh, like, uh, like, been been a top team, uh, and. Uh, Compared to Ragda, who has not performed to their potential yet, 
it's uh, really fun to see that we have different winners. It's only Emil that has won two races, and now we have different winners every weekend, and that's, that's a new thing for Ski Classic, and uh, I think it shows that uh, the, the level of skiing has uh, improved, and uh, more skiers are at a high level. So, yeah, good signs for Ski Classics. Indeed, really good signs, and this is the anniversary year. This is the 10th season, and you've seen a lot, you know, over the years. But where are we heading towards? What, what's kind of your take or prediction? I think we're... <coughs> oh, sorry. <coughs> I think we're heading in a good direction. Um, it's getting more and more professionalized uh, each year, and um, I think we have a good base now of uh, nice, uh, nice races. Um, like uh, going forward, I think um, we um, might can or we can uh, implement more of the big, big races. Uh, we have the big uh, classic races now, but I was a really big fan of skating last year. Uh, I hope that returns. Take it a little bit of mixed feelings, but yeah, I, I know I know there's mixed feelings in the field, but for me it was a great addition. I think. Uh, we are long-distance skiers, not necessarily only double polers. So I think we can do more than just a double pole. And I think there's some big, big races in the world that uh, ski classics can visit. And uh, you have Engadin, you have American Birke Banner, you have <clears throat> some other big, big races. Uh, it's uh, I think it might be for the future. Interesting that you brought them up, you know, the mm. American Burger Banner. But of course, to travel over there, we tried China. It's a, it yeah. was a good good race, but we always did logistics and traveling yeah. and all that kind of. How could that play into it? I mean, is it no. even possible? I think it's possible. It, it always looks worse on paper than it is in real life. Like I went to China, it wasn't that bad. I was there for the entire trip, took me four days, wasn't that bad. Uh, Can you recover from the jet lag? Yeah, yeah, no worries. We had the business class and sleeping pills, so I was all good. <laughs> so, uh, but and that's the same with American Brick Band. I don't think that. I think that would have been a great addition to Ski Classic. Um, I think uh, the travel doesn't hurt that much. That's more in your head than in your body. So. But do you think we have enough races now? So if we are going to add like those races you mentioned, should it be then some taken out or just extended even more? Good questions. I don't. I think there is enough races. Like uh, it's hard to do more races than we do now. What could have been uh, really fun is like maybe having more races in one weekend. Like do, for instance, two races at a weekend. That would have been really interesting. I think. That's something that Tourasle has said as well. Yeah, like yeah, uh, for, for, for example, next weekend in uh, Tobla Cortina, if we could do Tobla Cortina and Cortina Toblak, for instance, that would have been really fun. Uh, I think there is potential for development in Ski Classic, but Ski Classic is absolutely heading in the right direction. Uh, I think we're in a good state for, for our series. Anything else you would like to see in Visma Ski Classics besides the new races and stuff? Yeah. No, I think. I think the state of Ski Classic is good. I think we kind of matured. We're now, we're not a uh, small little series on the side anymore. You see, you, you have big skiers coming to ski, Ski Classic. So it's uh, good signs for Ski Classic. Good, that's always good to hear. That's why we're here. 
then back to the race after Predazzo, the sprint point, uh, then you kind of touched upon that a little bit. And then when that's when pretty much the action started, but going back there. Yes, we passed Predazzo. We have the old retro skiers uh, and the old car. Do you see those on the side of the track? No, I saw it last year on the TV, but I didn't catch it live. Yeah, it's there. We'll <laughs> see it in the replay. <laughs> no, but then we passed uh, Predazzo, and we, as you say, we skied down towards the Cascata and we could, uh, towards um, Alpsternis, and we could see that the pace was increasing. Uh, a little bit tougher fight among for the positions and right there at Alpsternis we saw Andreas Nygaard really doing a breakout attempt um, and got a gap actually so I think that's when it really turned the focus on the finish line exactly how did you feel over there when you, when you guys you mentioned that that was Tana when it started to happen and yeah, some people wasted energy and <laughs> yeah I was in a bit of a bad position right there so I was too far back so I didn't um, kind of feel the acceleration at first, but um, I saw that we had both Chris and Stian at front, so they were chasing down Andreas and uh, they were looking strong, so I wasn't that worried about him. Um, but that, that was when this, the race kicked off, that was when Marcia Longa really started. People were starting to get tired and uh, if you had power it was easier to navigate the field and uh, to get the position you wanted. Um, and uh, it kind of changed from uh, a bit of everything in the front to the usual suspects. You had the Ragda there, you had, uh, yeah, Igne. They were really strong today and has been the entire season. Uh, and yeah, us and some of the Russian guys and uh, Kaffa. So it was back to normal and back to, back to March along as we know it. So the Nigord's uh, breakaway attempt there, do you think it was a clever move or why did he start? That was about 10k before at least. Yeah, but um, if Chris had not reacted at once, he would have gotten 30 seconds like out of nowhere and then we would not have been able to catch him. So it's kind of like rolling the dice. You Either it works or it doesn't. But I don't think uh, he used that much energy on it. It... Uh, it was, uh, and then also we. Uh, you told me uh, yesterday that uh, Chris had some problems with his back, correct? Yeah, Chris is. Uh, he's an old, old guy, so he's, he's starting not that to. Old. Come on. <laughs> he's starting to get uh, some small uh, problems here and there, but he uh, felt a little bit in his back yesterday. But uh, we have uh, like a physiotherapist with us, so he fixed him up uh, late uh, last night and. He was all good today, no no problems for Chris at all. So, uh, but uh, it's that's the thing when you get old, you get some trouble here and there and everywhere. Let's spend a tiny moment on talking about him since he's the winner from last race and they didn't really have a chance to talk to him him that much. How was he feeling after that? I mean, that week in between these two races, that was his first victory. It must have been an emotional moment for him. Yeah, for sure. Um, Chris is a phenomenal skier when everything works. He is maybe one of the best skiers in the world when things are as they should be. Uh, unfortunately for Chris, um, things has not always. He's been a lot of sick. He's been injured. He's been he's been not having a good training session or uh, training summers and stuff like that so he has not been at his pos potential for a lot of years 
but uh, luckily now this summer was really really good he's stronger than ever and uh, I think we will see much more of Chris this season uh, in the coming races and uh, he showed last last weekend that he is a really really strong skier that track suited him more than this one here it's uh, fast fast skiing uh, downhill when the tracks get more hilly I think uh, Chris will be a very very hard skier to beat what about Stian Hillegaard I mean he's still looking for that <laughs> trying to yeah. try, trying to get the you know the victory yeah, he, he looked good today yellow all yellow so that's the way we like it uh, now Stian he is he's the complete opposite of Chris he's like he's never injured never sick never never anything wrong he's just a really really good skier that always performs so um, yes Dion he is uh, better than ever uh, today was not it was okay but not his best race I think uh, come Vasalapa he will he will be difficult to beat on the last K I was actually expecting, he did well today, but I was actually expecting more from both Stian and Chris looking at the last kilometers. They were both two up in the front mm. leading up to the Cascata, but then it was a little bit tight over the bridge. They lost some positions just before the bridge, yeah. and then they were not really in the game for, uh, for, the, for the final. Yeah, so right before the bridge, uh, this year there was a new addition before the bridge. Uh, they had to like to <laughs> don't don't have any incident over the bridge we've had inter incidents before with Eiste and Shellstar so <laughs> no more of that um so uh the sprint like the the last k before uh, going on to the bridge that's a big sprint and a big mess because there there some are standing in the track some are on the outside some are almost on the grass uh, trying to pass and uh it's just a big, big mess. Chris, we had a, we had a really plan about that yesterday, that we had to be at least top five into the hill, and uh, yeah. So and we we knew going into the race that it was like this, and we had to use power in the last case before the for the hill to be a good position because there was a one-way line over the bridge. We knew that, and if you are number 10 over the bridge, you are already 15 seconds behind. So you kind of almost lost already. And uh, Chris and, uh, and uh, Stian, they tried to control the race, stay in front, and uh, yeah, tried to have a really good position over the bridge. Uh, I think that might have cost a bit too much. I was staying, tried to stay calm behind. Uh, and yeah in tenth position uh, i should have been better i was thinking the entire way that i have to i have to pass some skiers now because this is too far behind but the no gaps open up so i was kind of locked <coughs> and then going over the last uh, over the bridge um, both stian and chris came back uh, came back a bit and uh, we were yeah, we were three together, Stian in front and Chris and me. So we were number 10, 12 going over the bridge and that was a bad position for us. Mm. And this year it's a kind of a special case because two years ago the storm 
pretty much demolished, destroyed the bridge, and they have to rebuild it. And, and they will widen it later. So, but this is a bit of a different situation, and it was only one track, as you mentioned. Yeah. But you guys knew about it, and, and everyone uh, had it in their minds pretty much, you know, that it, it's coming, and it'll be a tricky part. That's actually a question uh, from uh, Oscar Svärd in Sweden that uh, regarding this uh, bridge, did it change the ending of the race and uh, or had everyone good information about the more narrow bridge uh, from the teams and the TCM and so on? Yeah. And also, uh, of course, Oscar Svärd is a three-time Barcelona. Well, been, uh, <laughs> yeah. And the com expert commentator <laughs> exactly. at Swedish television. Now it didn't change the race at all. Uh, everybody knew about it. Uh, there's always a big war going into the bridge. Uh, wasn't any different this year, just a bit narrower. So maybe people were even more eager to go first onto the bridge, but didn't change anything. Everything worked out fine. No, there are no problems at all. And worth mentioning is that they will rebuild the bridge and make a new tunnel under the road, mm. but in two years time. So mm. in two years time, there will be a better situation and also with a new tunnel under this the year, road. This year you didn't have to like uh, duck down no because last year you, you kind of like you had to go into hockey position yeah. going through the bridge. They actually did this year is that they put a special madras on the ground ah, I saw. and then just a tiny bit of snow on that. Yeah. So they decreased the level of snow to gain some extra yeah. height. Well, <laughs> last year it was really narrow. Yeah, like had to go down to hockey and just kind of. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's one of those points. I mean, of course, in two years' time will be different, but probably kind of, you know. Part of the Mar Marcellona attraction. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And th this is Marcellona. It should be tiny, and everybody like the the track is narrow. You don't you you in Marcellona you can't expect to take the position when you want to. You have to kind of be smart and take the positions where gaps open up, and that's part of the uh, part of the race. Everybody knows that. There's no complaining about that. There is two tracks. Two tracks will be full almost all the time. And that's the same in the last case, in the last 10 case. It's much, much, much heavier to stay in front, but you have to stay in front. So, like, if, you're, if you ski at place 30, the last 10k, you will save a lot of energy. But you're in place 30, and you're 30 seconds behind when the last open starts. So, uh, you have to invest a lot of power to stay in front. It's really, really heavy to stay in front, but that's the only way to do it. So this is kind of like the Monaco race in F1. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Position is everything. And then when you managed uh, the bridge and the tunnel, the tiny, tiny tunnel, the last uphill. <coughs> yeah, going under the tunnel, I was in a really bad position. I was, I don't know where I was, but I think maybe I was number 10, 12. So I know that uh, after the tunnel, there's a small flat part, and uh, uh, I know that people are tired after the sprint to the bridge. So I know that's an easy place to make up some positions if you don't have the best position going under the bridge. So <clears throat> I knew once I got out of the tunnel, I just had to go all in to try to get in position, and then I just went, yeah, went all in, and. Uh, I could pass 10 skiers and get up into third position. And uh, that was, that's the position I wanted. So go <laughs> starting the hill, I was in where I wanted. So when you reached that point, when you were third, how did you feel at that stage? You, you ended up spending a little bit extra energy there just to catch up with, the, with those guys. Yeah, so uh, going into 
going into the last, I was pretty tired uh, in the start of the hill, but then uh, Andreas was pulling in the start. Uh, that didn't go too fast, so that was good. I could recover a bit. Then uh, uh, Tult went around and the pace increased. Uh, I was still feeling pretty good. I saw one skier coming on the side. There was only one track going up. Uh, so there was a lot of energy wasted if you wanted to go around. Uh, and I saw one skier coming and I knew that had to be uh, Eliasen. Of course it was. Uh, he went to the front and uh, the pace increased even more. Um, How did it feel at that point? Like, oh no, we're going really fast. Nah, today I actually felt really good the entire day. I was, I didn't spend too much energy before the last uphill. I was feeling really good going into the last uphill. Um, so I felt good. I thought Eliasen would ski a bit faster actually uh, in the start, but he kind of just gradually just increased the speed. Um, and then uh, with 1k to go, Andreas was starting to feel it, I think. So I just got on the inside of him and I managed to uh, climb my way up to third position. And then... And then you knew that you are going to win a podium? Uh, no, I didn't oh, think so. about that at all, actually. And you don't think that much in the last uphill. You just ski. <laughs> so, and then I, we skied up and uh, with 1k to go and then suddenly there was a right turn. Didn't know about that one. Yeah, that so, was a new one. I think. Yeah, that was a new one. So I, I was so prepared because uh, Tour Dosle, he has a place down there where he always kicks. That's the same every year. So I was just prepared for him to kick and I was <laughs> trying to stay behind him. And then suddenly we went to the right and down a small hill and I didn't know nothing what happened. So, <laughs> but then... Uh, must have been a bit surprised. Yeah, What's going I, on? I was so surprised. And then there was a bit more uphill after that. So... Yeah, but I, I saw that Eliasen was really pushing and uh, I saw Jardal was starting to feel it. <coughs> and then um, I know that uh, it's hard to pass on the last uphill because there is only one track. And if you're gonna pass, you have to do it in the bad track. And I also know that the scooters, they stop with uh, yeah, 300 meters to go. So uh, after that, the tracks are better. So I kind of like uh, debated with myself uh, if I was going to kick or not, because I was starting to get really tired. But then I managed to convince myself to try and to go all in. And uh, yeah, two years ago, I did the exact same thing. Uh, went around uh, Tord and Ilya. Um, but then Ilya was too strong on the final 100 meters, so I was beaten. And this year, I was pretty determined that that was not going to happen. So with, uh, yeah, 300 meters to go, just went all in. And then I just managed to get by Eliasen, going through uh, the last narrow part and leading out to the main straight hair and then uh, yeah i just go went all into the uh, i was so sure that uh, i actually thought when i get, got out that oh here i've been here before <laughs> 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 this uh, this looks uh, familiar from uh, from two years ago 
And then I just had to go all in, all the way to the finish line, didn't look back. And, yeah. It seems to me that you need to uh, try these things kind of twice. You know, you did it in Barcelona too. You had a breakaway, didn't work out. Right. And then second time lucky and you actually won. Same thing here. Yeah, for sure. Uh, there is a lot of motivation in failing and much more motivation in failing than in winning. So uh, <laughs> failing here two years ago, that was so mad afterwards and been thinking about that day a lot. And uh, yeah, so there's a lot of motivation in failing. But at the interview, when Eric interviewed uh, you after the race, you said you were surprised. You didn't think that today will be the day that you can repeat the feat. No, uh, this season has been kind of a funny one for me. I've written my master thesis uh, this year. I finished that the Friday before uh, La Diagonela. So I have not been training in December. Uh, we started riding in September and uh, I've done an average 10 hours, 12 hours on school every day since uh, September. What are you, what were you studying? Uh, I'm uh, engineering, so I'm uh, mastering in um, operational re research, mathematics. And what was your thesis about? It was uh, <coughs> emergency department layout planning. So it's... Uh, yeah, <laughs> can you How explain can that a little bit? It's the I don't know. It's about uh, it's optimization. So it's about the placing the internals of the emergency department in the right place to reduce waiting times and reduce walking distances. So it's a it's a difficult problem. Is that something you are uh, possibly working on one after your I don't skiing know. career? Uh, we'll see. Um, Right now I'm focused on skiing, uh, finished on Friday, could finally press the liver and... Uh, so you're not done with your studies? Uh, I have some small uh, subjects left, but that's no biggie. And uh, so, yeah. Okay, so that's that's in the future then. But what about the skiing? You mentioned you still want to continue. And of course you do, you're so good. What do you yeah. see for yourself in the future? Uh, I really don't know. I take one year at a time. Uh, this year was uh, was a, a good combination with school. Uh, I could finish my school and then do some skiing as well. Uh, so we'll see next year. I'm completely finished this uh, spring. So we'll see if I have to get a normal job or if I can continue traveling the world, double polling. Speaking of that, uh, you are running the team. We talked about that, and you are an athlete. Uh, is it enough? I mean, do you need to still work and get money, or does this support you and your uh, family? It's uh, we don't have any salary on our team, so you're dependent on Skin Fast to kind of uh, have some income. But uh, we have some personal sponsors and stuff like that, so it works out. But if I want to get rich, I think I have to stop skiing and do. <laughs> do some other things but uh, I really like skiing uh, I the money is in everything no money is not everything so Eric the women's race let's go through through the uh, the final moments of that as well 
Yes, and we had uh, three women skiing together. It was uh, Kari Vikagen Gaitnes and Astrid Öyrslin together with Lina Korsgren. And they, those three were together for a long time. And then down in uh, Molina, we actually saw Kari Vikagen Gaitnes uh, trying her power for the first time of the race and got a little bit of a gap. Uh, on the other two girls, and uh, she skied alone for a while, but then uh, she got uh, caught uh, before the hill. It was really an interesting race there as well, and good for your team. I mean, <laughs> of course. And yeah. Kari, finally. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's have you talked to her after the race? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course I have. Um, now, she was uh, really, really happy, and also Astrid, like double victory once again. Uh, yeah. I don't know what we've done so different this year, but it seems that we've done something smart. <laughs> uh, yeah, the women, they are really, really strong. Asti and Kari, they kind of, they work together and they, they are a team. They are a really, really strong team. Um, and um, yeah. They seem to be happy together. Yeah, for sure, for sure. They are good friends. So they, um, they work together and uh, yeah, double victory once again. It's amazing. Kari actually represented uh, Team Rakti Ayanam last year. Yeah. How did you guys get her? No, she you just stole it. Stole no, <laughs> she got fired from Rakti, actually. So uh, then we we know that Kari is a really good skier, so we wanted her in our team and uh, for the team competition as well. It's uh, two girls now and two 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 men to uh, to yeah to get the points. So uh, for the team competitions, it, it's really important to have both men and women in the team. So when you guys travel around in a, in a team, we talked about your team a little bit. Uh, how does it kind of work? I mean, you seem to be, you are a family pretty much. Yeah. I mean, every time I talk to you guys, you're so happy. I can't really spot any kind of... No, we have a really good team and like the service guys, they are doing an amazing job. They working around the clock for us. And uh, also the athletes, we, we kind of went away from staying at hotels. We rent apartments. We make our own dinner. We live together. We... It's when you are traveling one month, it's so boring staying at hotels. Sounds kind of like <laughs> a bit uh, strange, but uh, it's it's much better staying at apartments and uh, like staying together. You get to feel both the ups and the downs of each other and you help each other through ups and downs. And I think that grows the team much more than laying in bed watching Netflix. Indeed. Now you have won two major races. Uh, this one, of course, and uh, Vasalope. So is the Birkebeiner in it next? <laughs> of yeah. the Brown Jewels? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty amazing. I've only won two races in my career. Never won the club club championships or the national championships or nothing. I only won two races. Two so small races. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I'm, the two I'm, biggest ones yeah, in yeah, the world. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. So now <clears throat> I feel lucky and I feel... Yeah, of course, Birkebenen, home soil, important race. Uh, but I have a horse back home, a red horse. You do? That I won in Vasilope last year. Oh, that one. Yeah, that <laughs> one. So no, it, yeah. uh, the Darla Hastia, it feels a bit lonely. So it needs another first one. What did, they, what did they give you if you win Birkebenen? I don't know. <laughs> what, what do you got from here? Uh, so far, uh, cheese, some flowers, <laughs> some flowers. <laughs> so, but there is a prize giving ceremony at five, so we'll see. Now, but uh, the the horse feels a bit lonely back home, so the main goal now is to 
Add to the stable. What is your favorite phrase? I mean, of course, these these two that you want, but when you put that aside and just think about them as a, as, as races. This has always, or Martelonga has always been my favorite race. Um, this is a because really of? special race. This is because it's it's so special race. It's um, uh, it's all about uh, yeah, you ski through town after town where there is spectacle going on. The, it's a race where tactics are more important than in any other race because of the positioning, because of because of the track. So it's um, it's a special race that uh, demands more from the skier than a lot of other races. And which one is the hardest one to conquer? Um, good question. I think they are all races are hard. It depends on how they are raced, but uh, of course, race Leppe with the uh, yeah. The alpine hill you race off—that's that's a tough, tough, tough one. You're gonna go kick wax there. I went double pulling last year. That did not work out, so might have to change the plan and go kick this year. Speaking of that, do you think it's uh, it's good that we have races like that? With that, we still, even if you guys are double pullers, but we have yeah, races yeah. that where you may, might end up using kick wax. Absolutely, I think the mix with the kick and with double pulling—that's uh, unique spectacle to watch on TV like like last year no no last weekend in La Degonella when Petter was doing kick amazing he just wanted to test it yeah 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 but it, it's amazing it's amazing to watch you like the, the kick guy he goes up uh, goes in front on the hill and then the double ball guy pulls him back and it's kind of back and forth so I think that's that's really really good and what about if you had kickbacks here would do you think it would be faster to go up uphill this this last last hill no this hill is uh, too flat to be faster on a kick. And uh, also the conditions are pretty difficult to go with kick. There is kind of loose and stuff like that. But even even though the conditions would have been perfect, I think double pulling will be faster up here. So this is your favorite race. Let's then both of both of you uh, uh, and pick up like three things, three things that make this particular race really amazing. Of first of all, the history of the race. I mean, it's been for so so many years. We're getting close to 50 years. And then it's been uh, the course itself. I think it's very spectacular. You're skiing through all these uh, villages, and uh, also the urge from skiers that wants to win this race. I think it's very special too that this. If you ask the pro skiers, they really want to win Martelonga. And then your take three things that make this race really special no, it's it's the scenery it's the course and it's the final uphill indeed and in the final uphill then Karivika Gnednes was able to to push really hard and and beat Astrid Eres Linda and Lina Kuskren fought as 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 much as she could uh, still maybe a little bit recovering from that uh, illness that she had earlier. She was third and, and uh, then Ida Dahl, really great race from her as well. Fourth, Britta wasn't really that strong today. Last weekend as well, a bit of a, she's a bit of in a down, downward spiral right now. But we'll see, I mean, of course, next weekend could be, could be different. But we'll take a look at the standings next. Yes, now in the yellow bib is uh, Tordasle Jerdalen, team Ragde Eindom, 705 points. Second, Stian Holgaard, team Koteng, 680. 
and third, Morten A.D. Pedersen, team Kaffebryggeriet 673. So a really tight top three in the men's competition. So Tora, when you look at that now, the, the men's race, I mean, it's really good for you guys. You may, may be out of the yellow, yellow big fight, but yeah. how does it look No, for it you? looks really good. Stian, he is consistent as always. And uh, I think uh, the coming races suit uh, Stian really well. So I think he will be able to to uh, compete for the yellow bib. And who do you think is his toughest opponent? Yedale? Uh, it's Team Rogde and them. All, <laughs> all, all of them. They are really, really strong. They haven't really found their form yet. So when they come into full form, I think they will be hard to beat. And the women? Still leading after today, Astrid Öyreslin, Team Koteng, 945, ahead of Britta Johansson Norgren, Lager 157 ski team, 875, and tied with Kari Vikagen Gatnes, Team Koteng. So Britta and Kari are really tight, and but Astrid is opening up a little bit of a gap lead there in the this got to be really exciting for you. I mean, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. It, absolutely. Austria is she's so strong, and when everything clicks for Austria, she is almost unbeatable. So, I think uh, Austria is going to be hard to catch in in the women's and class. You and you said that you know Kari and Asi can work to, you know, so yeah, well yeah, together. Ab ab absolutely, and they are, <coughs> as it looks now, the two strongest uh, skiers in the women's class. So, looks good for Team Koteng. Do you think it will continue? And Top Lakotina? <laughs> uh, it's uh, difficult to say, but uh, we're, uh, I think the whole entire team is feeling good now, so we'll try to. And to then on. youth, men? First, Emil Persson, Lager 157 ski team, 590 points. Second, Max Novak, Team Ramudden, 461. And third, Alexander Grebenko from <laughs> Russian Winter Team, in 366 <laughs> points. And Tudleif is there. Do you still think he has a chance? Yeah, he might be a bit far back uh, already. He um, has not the best of the season, the best season so far. But I think uh, at least we can see a lot of good results from Tudleif going forward. Youth women. First, Ida Dahl, Team Ramudden, 604 points. Second, Tia Krokan Murud, Team Ragde Eindom, 517 points. And third, Anastasia Rigalina, Russian winter team, 452 points. So maybe next year you should find a young girl. Yeah, as well. we have to look. Good, moving on to sprint. Still leading, Stianberg, Team Café Brigeriet, 193 points, chased by... Max Novak, Team Ramudden, 185. And third, Oscar Cardin, Team Ragde Indom, 156 points. You don't really have anyone shooting for this particular category. We, we don't have a, a skier that's uh, fast. We have uh, slow skiers you know, on our team. so Slow but strong. Slow but strong, so we have to, uh, to do other competitions. And women, sprint. Astrid Öreslin, Team Koteng, 115 points, just ahead of Britta Johansson-Olgren, Lager 157 ski team, at 105 points. And third, Lina Korsgren, Team Ramudden, 102 points. So a really tight competition there in the sprint women's. And of course, this is important for Astrid as well. Yeah, yeah. every competition is important for Astrid. She is so strong, so she can win everything. Speaking of the climb then, 
Climb Men, first is Morten Eide Pedersen, Team Kaffebryggeriet, 183 points. Second, Andreas Holmberg, Lager 157 Ski Team, 129 points. And third, Andreas Nygaard, Team Ragde Eindom, 70 points. But Christian de Jespersen isn't really that far behind. No, and he uh, is trying to be good in the climb, so I think he will try that jersey on later. And here's another jersey that uh, Astrid <laughs> is currently wearing, Climb Women. Yes, Climb Women, also led by Astrid Ayreslin, Team Koteng, 138 points, ahead of Britta Johansson-Olgren, Lager 157 Ski Team at 95 points, and number three, Emilie Fleten, Team Ragde Eindom at 52 points. But then again, Kari is only a few points behind Emilie here. Yeah, yeah, so uh, looking good. And the pro team. This is the one for you guys. This is the one. Leading is Team Kuteng at 1,030 points. Ahead of Lager 157 Ski Team, 935. So almost 100 points. And in third place, Team Ragde Eindom at 900 points. So these are the standings, of course. And next we're going to talk about challenger races. Have you done yours, by the way? To yeah, I've done on both the Allianz Lope and the uh, Kraderts Lope. We have 26 races in the challenges. I mean, that's a new initiative we have. Really, really cool one. First of all, Ture, what do you think about this? No, Expand, extending the family. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, cool. Wisma Ski Classic is, is expanding and uh, more races can feel part of uh, the Ski Classic. So I think it's, uh, it's a good addition. But now it means that you guys also need to pick one, at least one and get points because if you win, you get 50 points. That's very important for you guys, particularly if you're fighting for the yellowed yeah, jersey. Yeah, so for um, skiers like uh, Stian Hulgar, for instance, who is fighting the yellow jersey, he has to have a good challenger. And um, I think he has second now in the Kreider Flopper as his uh, best one. So uh, he's, yeah, 46 points or what it is. So he has his race and uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a new new aspect to think about when uh, do you think it's a good aspect that you have to go kind of outside of the pro tour and yeah kind of it uh, it means that we expand ski classics we have more people know about ski classics and uh, yeah it's a good addition so we have 27 races Eric you can actually not, don't <laughs> read all of them but pick some yes I mean we have uh, competitions going on all over the world if you go to vismaskiclassics.com you see the map and, and the full list of them but for example we have La Transjurasien in France coming up, we have Furusjön Rundtrenet in Norway American Birkebeiner in uh, the US, Bessemeloppet in Sweden and so on and so on so tons of races to do there and quite many uh, skating races that are uh, attached to our pro tours like uh, La Venosta the skating was a challenger now this coming weekend we have Topla Cortina the skating race a 32 kilometer skating race is our challenger challengers event and the König Ludwiglauf was supposed to be but unfortunately that great race got cancelled so there are many many uh, interesting races and as you mentioned roller ski races as well you've, yeah. you've done those those two Allianz Lopet and uh, Kralades Lopet uh, mm. Gaute Gaute, Gaute exactly so both uh, competitions on snow and on roller ski 
Indeed, that is a really a good new initiative. And if you out there, these are the races that anyone can do. So if you can do a pro tour, you can, of course, pick one of those 27 races and join the family. Hello, Andreas Nygård here. Be sure to check out uh, wismaskiclassic.com and the new web shop. Pay the site to visit. Uh, a lot of great stuff out there on uh, wismaskiclassic.com. Next weekend we have Topla Cortina. We are staying in Italy, 42 kilometers. But before you guys get into the mood, you can also send us questions, requests, anything you want to say. And the address is podcast at skiclassics.com. Once again, podcast at skiclassics.com. And we really want to have your questions. Next weekend, yeah, Topla Cortina, much shorter, different kind of race. Yeah, for sure. So uh, next weekend it's uh, up and down. You go uh, up the valley, then down the valley. So um, yeah, depends how hard uh, people ski up uh, up the valley. If uh, it all comes together down, um, we'll see. It's a different kind of different kind of race than this. Um, it's more more traditional uh, long distance skiing again. So it will be good. We have uh, our entire uh, sponsors with us. So we are yeah, 50, 60, 70 people uh, coming to Toblak and uh, Cortina. So. That'll be really fun. We have, as I said earlier, Junki Sandal joining us once more. So it's good to have the captain back. And it's a great finish as well, you know, kind of like here in a town, downtown area of, yeah. of Cortina. But uh, it's uh, in uh, the, the slope is <laughs> is in the other direction than here. It's a uh, fast downhill to the finish. So it's all about positioning. Uh, the, the final sprint isn't that long. It's only 100 meters. So. It's all about positioning. The last uh, 5K will be chaos, and uh, it's all about positioning, uh, remembering where to posi uh, when you have to be in the right position. Um, I did uh, last year, we or two years ago when we finished in Cortina. I thought I remembered, and then suddenly the finish came. So <laughs> I was I was far far back. So we'll have to try to memorize the course a little bit better this year. And how are you going to spend the week? We are actually splitting between Toblak and Cortina, so we're driving to Cortina to Toblak tonight, and then we're moving to Cortina uh, from Thursday with uh, yeah our sponsors. And what else are you doing in terms of recovering, getting uh, ready? Now it's just about uh, drinking a lot of coke and uh, <laughs> having a lot of calories uh, inside uh, the body once more. And uh, yeah, uh, usually I train a lot the first days after uh, a marathon, and then I try to. Uh, take down the training and get some, um, yeah, fresh fitness into the body before the race. So what about this January madness, as we call it? I mean, there's so many races back to back. We are getting kind of the tail end of it now. Yeah. Two more still. Yeah, it's. Uh, I really like it. It's. Uh, this is what I think the entire season kind of revolves around. Uh, so, um, for me, I think uh, it's a good, uh, good setup. I like racing. I like a lot of races and when they come close together I think uh, yeah it's really fun you feel like you're on a tour and that's fun Eric how would you describe Topla Cortina our next race well it's a totally different race it's shorter I think it's higher speed the whole race and of course a totally different finish as we've been talking about but uh, it's a really nice race I mean Toblak is very famous for the cross-country skiing and of of course, Cortina as well in the in the skiing world, both uh, Alpine and uh, and the Nordics. Uh, 
the host city to be for the Olympics as well, again. So, um, yeah, I think it's a really good race. It has potentials for breakouts and, uh, and good tactics in the end. And that race will be uh, next Saturday, and the start times are for women, 8.30, and for you guys, for men, 9 o'clock in the morning. And, of course, those times are central times. One final thing. Yes. We've been talking about all kinds of things, your personal life, skiing, what you're going to do in the future. But now, when you're kind of looking back, what's your take, your philosophy on life? Oh, that was a big question. <laughs> we always <Yeah. laughs> save the, la- the, the big one. <laughs> that, that was a big one. Uh, philosophy on life. No, I think that's a difficult question to answer. But I always try to do things that I think are fun. Uh, I... Life is too short to just feel miserable, so I always try to have some fun. And that's uh, that's why I ski, that's why I do this. And uh, winning, that's the most fun part, so try to do more of that in the future. There you have it, folks, to have fun. That's the most important thing in life. Thank you very much, Ture, and congratulations once again. What a performance. And also... Thank you, Eric, very much for being being here. And once again, the starting times for next weekend, for those of you who didn't catch them, 9 o'clock for you guys and 8.30 for women, CET, Central European Time. Thank you. Thank you, everyone out there. And join us next weekend when Toplach Cortina kicks off. Ciao.